Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Kieran Clare, who's the former editor of API magazine. He also has two decades of experience as a property valuer and is an award-winning journalist. We have a chat to Kieran about the property media in Australia and its role and influence and how to negotiate property media as an investor and getting the best advice and just his general tips about property investing and his investment journey as well. Here's Kieran. All right, Kieran Clare, thanks for joining us on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Looking forward to having a good chat. Awesome. Now, can you kick us off? Um, your sort of reputation precedes you in the in the media a little bit, but I uh, just want to ask who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> it's always a worry when someone says your reputation precedes you mm-hmm. in any event. It's not normally a positive thing, is it? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, hopefully, this one will work out okay for me. Um, so, look, I was um, a registered property valuer here in Queensland from the early 90s um, right through. Um, you know, I must have started when I was six on that basis. Um <laughs> and uh, worked for Heron Todd White and went through um, many years of, of different types of property, um, you know, starting with housing and right through to doing residential um, development and feasibility studies, those sorts of things. Um, basically, was with them for 23 years, apart from a couple of lost years in London, which were a world of fun, but probably not much good for my profession. <laughs> um, in any event, well before uh, Facebook, mate, I was, I was, that, that was, that was a happy time for me. Um, and so, uh, after after being there for a while, I always had a real bent for. Um, education doing uh, for good education and for writing love to write about property and it really struck me um, that there are a lot of very smart property professionals out there who have good things to say but are not very good at saying it mm. um, and it was interesting to me that that we could be better communicators particularly in the valuation field and so part of that was I took on um, basically editing um, the month in review for Heron Todd White, um, which was a which was a pretty interesting but dense newsletter that came out in the mail uh, when I first wow. was looking after it. Yeah, I know. Um, and it was it was sort of the same every month, and it was very high end, and it was not very accessible probably for for a big majority of readers and we managed to by making that a little more accessible a little better communicative made that um saw that sort of grow pretty quickly in terms of a mailing list i i I don't know what their last count was but we were certainly sort of cracking the 12 or thirteen thousand mail out mark um so it did really well um and then one morning i or one evening i was flipping through linkedin and uh saw a job offer for a 12-month contract with Australian Property Investor Magazine. I showed it to my wife. I said, that looks interesting. She said, do you want to apply? And I said, don't be crazy. We've got kids and a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. and, and then the next day, uh, next day, it was still bothering me. And I said, it's still there. She said, you should, you should apply. And so I did. And I managed to get the job there uh, as a journalist for 12 months. And after a year, um, the boss came to me and said, uh, the maternity leave journalist you're replacing is going on permanent leave. Do you want her job? And I grabbed it with both hands because awesome. quite yeah mate I, I hadn't had so much fun in 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 almost quarter of a decade as i did uh, you know writing for the magazine um it was a, a fantastic opportunity to to sort of talk to real people about property and and share some knowledge and you know give some education and get a little education back you know you work as a valuer in a particular field you become a bit 
insulated um a bit of a a specialist in that field maybe maybe in seven suburbs in brisbane maybe you're a specialist in just the east side or something like that um the api magazine certainly opened a lot of um knowledge doors for me and uh i enjoyed it immensely and after being there for two years um the opportunity came to uh become editor um and i thought that's a pretty quick rise to power i'll take that uh, so, so did that. Along the way, managed to pick up an REIQ award, uh, media award. I think that was in 2016 um, for for property writing, real estate writing. So that was great. Yeah, awesome. um, that went well. Yep. And now, you know, post post the magazine and uh, it, its fallout started to to work and continue to work in media also sorry i missed out i did a, i did a year as a, a senior property journalist with uh, the courier mail up here so i learned quite a bit about newsrooms so yeah, excellent th- there you go and uh, isn't it amazing that there can be a property journalist who's got a property background that seems like you've uh, <laughs> you, you've broken the mold or perhaps hopefully created a new one what about uh, as a youngster kieran what uh, posters did you have on the bedroom wall Oh, <laughs> you know what? I was um, I was the youngest of, of of three boys. My brothers are my best mates, but we couldn't be more different. Um, and um, uh, I, while they sort of had uh, pictures of, of surfing and and a few other things, um, I think I had a picture of a of a a nineteen eighties Porsche Targa uh, right. on, on the on my wall, thinking I wouldn't mind owning one of those one day. Um, Along with, I had, a, I had a lot of musical interests too, so there's probably a few band posters as well. But, but I was the sort of kid who probably had a few things on the wall that that um, was w- w- was like a dream a, a dream wall for me, where I could sort of sit there and say, I, I think um, I think I'd like to do well enough to be able to spoil myself uh, when I get a bit older. It's your, your, <laughs> you maybe you invented the vision wall. You just didn't know. That could be it. That's it. The vision wall. <laughs> you give it a name. Copyright that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, how did how did you get started in in property, and what was your first investment? Yeah, sure. Look, um, I've got to tell you, I was a latecomer. I mean, what, if if I um, could name myself as a poster child for anything, it would be for the late starter. Um, I was working as a valuer from you know age, oh gee, you know, straight out of college, so nineteen ninety one, um, and. Um, I managed to work there right through until 2002 without owning a property. Um, I think that I'd seen the market flounder quite a bit through the 90s in Brisbane. Um, my father was in finance and property, and so, you know, it's not like the opportunity wasn't there. Um, maybe, I don't know whether I was just a bit lazy or, or just a bit tainted <laughs> by the idea, you know, yeah. um, but there, there it was. I think I had the old man at one point say to me, you know, you should get into property in, in, in about 1999, and I sort of shook my head and said, mate, it hasn't done anything for most of this decade. Why would I do that? Um Lo and behold, in 2003, we had a pretty gun run, so his, his yeah. timing probably wasn't too bad. But in any event, um, I, I, look, I've, I've got to put it down to a big thing. I married well. Um, <laughs> now, I, I, I don't say that in, in any short sense. The, 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 um, my wife, um, Michelle, is, is one of the smartest um, um, property people I, I know. She's a registered valuer herself. And um, when I met her, she... Um, she gave me an education on on why um, it, it's a great um, vehicle, and um, you know, within a year of meeting her, I bought my first uh, investment in Auckland Flower 
it was uh, it was one of those ones where the agent I'd been bander, uh, been bothering agents for a few months, and then suddenly one called up and he said, "I've got a two bedroom unit that fits your criteria. Um, it's priced at one hundred and forty five thousand. Um, I've already called the top person on my list, and they're umming and ahhing. Do you want to come and have a look?" And I said, yeah, okay. And I went and had a look. Oh, sorry, no, I didn't actually, first up. I called my father because I was at work and I said, can you go and have a look for me? And he said, certainly. <laughs> and and he rocked along. He called me within um, 15 minutes of arriving. I said, what do you think? He said, bring your pen and your checkbook. You're huh. going to buy. Wow. I know. And so I, uh, I rocked up, two-bedroom, 1970s unit, needed a whole lot of love, six-pack in Orkin flower, you know, moments from the river, moments from the CBD, and uh, purchased for 145 and, and interestingly, talking to the body corporate manager after I'd settled, um, he, he, he somewhat, maybe somewhat unkindly said to me, you know, they would have accepted less. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I, and then I said to him, you know, I would have paid more. Yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> So, uh, I, I think in uh, I, I think in hindsight, it was probably a, a true market value and a very good deal. And I still got that that unit in my my uh, portfolio. That was going to be my next question. So you you will have done uh, very well on that up until today. And uh, yeah, so, some some positive things ahead for Brisbane on the horizon with population growth. I see as well. Mm-hmm. No, we're very keen to see that happen up here. I can tell you. <laughs> so. Kieran, as our first guest on the podcast from the world of media, uh, how would you score the standard of property journalism in Australia? Obviously, this is a slightly loaded question, but, <laughs> uh, but ha- how, how are we doing, you think, out of 10? Oh, out of 10. Look, um, I, look the, the property media that I deal with, um, I think does a pretty good job of it and and i'd probably give it you know i'd probably give it a high a, a high seven and eight out of ten with the specialist media yep. that that i probably deal with i think as a whole the media um is dealing with a lot of challenges um and you know you only have to see the sort of way that it gets skewered around the place i'm, I'm going to defend it and and sure i'm a part of it but i i, I think there's a logical discussion around this um the media is dealing with a lot of challenges. It's it's hunting for people to look at it in an age where um, everyone can self-publish. Yeah, I I am I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist uh, by nature, but also I, I don't mind the sort of socialist feeling that everyone can self-publish. That's that's a great thing. The internet, everyone gets a voice. That's fantastic. Um, but unfortunately, in that world of self-publishing, the filter is gone. And I think that the, the media has always provided a great filter. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea of balanced coverage, the idea of taking two contrary positions and having a meaningful discussion about an issue, um, trying to present both and um, possibly allowing them to a, a reader to draw their own conclusions, for me, is a healthy uh, environment for people to, to educate themselves. Um, when you have... Uh, a world where special interests, people who have their own businesses, um, their own agendas, um, can self-publish uh, stories dressed up as media or dressed up as a news story. Um, I think you can run into hitches, and I don't. Obviously, you know, generalisation is is not the thing here. Um, there is a lot of good um, commentators out there. There's a lot of lousy ones too, and um, I think the media's role of filtering those uh, is important, but it's becoming harder. 
I think also the mainstream media, as I said, are hunting for eyes. So, yes, you do get sensationalised headlines. They do try and do those things to drag people in. Um, I like to think that smart readers will read from the top of the page to the bottom of the page, though. And and maybe that's something that we're lacking a little bit as a consumer at the moment. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the whole article and commented instead of tweeting off the headline? It'd be fantastic. In fact, I tend to read the headline and think that's a junk article and go straight to the comments and watch people tear each other apart. But that's just <laughs> just a weird fetish weird. of mine. Um, so uh, yesterday I, I sort of pre-wrote a question about um, Terry Ryder giving a journalist a hiding on a daily basis for some poorly researched article and it actually sort of came true that day he uh, or that evening he, he did give uh, a, a journalist a hiding for, for poor research. Do, do you think that there, there is a lot of garbage out there or, or Terry's just cranky? <laughs> he, he does seem a bit cranky. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't I, I've only met Terry the once was many, many years ago. Look, it, it, he's he's interesting in um, so much for me is that um, Terry. I agree with actually a lot of Terry's research um, is is interesting and certainly uh, I think worthy of discussion. Um, yeah, as do I. I, I think he, you I, know, he's a he's an eloquent guy that's a, that's a good voice, um, but he does get riled up. Yeah, he does get rolled up. I look, and and this isn't, you know, this I wouldn't direct this um, entirely at Terry. I think people get rolled up at journalism. Journalism should be good and balanced. I think that holding the media accountable is important, but also holding them accountable for the information they receive or for quotes, etc. Um, there's a bit of give and take there. Uh, the media are often reporting on what someone else is saying, and then they'll often find a counterpoint to it as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if um, if our mate Mr. Dent, which we were talking about earlier, yes. Harry Dent comes out and, and, and professes there's going to be a, a, a sensational fall in the market. 50%, it's, it's, he says. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> wouldn't... wouldn't Anyway, <laughs> obviously, I'm going, my my lordy. Anyway, um, and just so, uh, just as an insight as well, I, I put fifty uh, percent property crash into Google, and I've got News.com, the Australian, and the Fin Review, uh, yeah. and maybe Sydney Morning Herald. Although the article's a bit hard to to de- to determine there, so it that that got a lot of play. Oh, look, and uh, look, I would say that that will get a lot of play because it will drag some eyes to the websites. Mm. It will create some readership for that story. And why not? This is once again that thing I go back to. Readers kind of get the media they deserve in this in this sense where, you know, a sensational headline will get clicked on. Um, but I would venture that the majority of good financial and property journalists will realise what realise what that is about. Um, and I would hope that they would try and address some of it um, in their article, even if it is just to get the contrary point of view um, as to, you know, I, I mean, you could ring just about any other analyst in Australia um, and they would say, yeah, I disagree with that finding and yes. here's why. Um, um, if you've been around long enough, um, you can. In, I, I get the feeling you can expect Harry Dent to say something of that nature whenever <laughs> there's a, a speaking tour or a book to be sold. So, you know, um, there was this really. There's a great. There's a. There's a really great chart that's doing the rounds, and I, I'd love to find it and send it to you, Mike. Um, that shows um, that tracked capital growth in in Australian property. Once again, a generalised term because there are, isn't just one property market in this country, but. Yeah. 
uh, it tracks um, it tracks growth and um, <laughs> marked on the chart is where various commentators have said property is going to burst and plummet oh, good. Australia good. as the chart rises. <laughs> um, I, think, I think Harry Dent's on there three times now. I, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. You can post it with um, with the story. But it, it's pretty interesting to to think that there are commentators out there who have plenty to say about the, the death of Australian property who, you know, will only be proven wrong in the long term. And we love that too. I mean, everyone loved the, the, the Steve Keen story and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. so, you know, we, yeah. we, we love to, to see these guys and, you know, come in, especially the American Americans and hate on them and then when it doesn't turn out to be true we sort of trot that out um, yeah it's an enjoyable thing for, for people to to get involved in what um, what do you think the, the role that uh, the, the media in in property in Australia ha- has as a power to influence the markets what what influence do you mm. think that the media can actually have on you know let's say that they're predicting the the peak of the market is is there an influence on on consumer behavior based on that I think that the influence is probably overstated um, more than... uh, It's probably overstated more often than not. Now, I say that in that the media, once again, the media I like is is a great filter. The media I like is the sort that that takes the discussion, gives the counterpoint, and and lets readers draw conclusions. But I've never really met... Um, a buyer who read an article that said Moolumbar is going to go off, you should buy there, and then just got up and did it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and one of the great things about the environment we live in now is so much information is available so readily on the internet, a lot for free. You will find some of the most, um, some of the best research buyers um, that this this country has seen in its history uh, now operating in the market and we are still a free market people are still free to do their research they're still free to um, you know make offer and acceptance and negotiate on property so I think that I think the media steers discussion I think it um, presents an interesting uh, take on the market, um, but I don't think that it necessarily drives market. It might actually highlight a lot of things. I like to think that, you know, the recent Sydney boom, the softening of the Sydney boom now, now, some of us and some of us around the place were probably talking about the impending softening of, of Sydney uh, a couple of years back and the oversupply of units and all the rest of it. Um, but predicting that having happened, say, at the start of 2016, wouldn't have been correct yes the the downturn probably was in some respects occurring but 2016 was still a pretty stellar year to be holding sydney property yeah exactly Uh, you know and even 2017 didn't do too badly um but you know, there was a few, and the, there was a few of us around the place, sort of saying, "Okay, uh, be careful, be careful, be careful." We've probably hit now 2018, and we're starting to see the the cooling. The, the, we're seeing the the actual um, manifestations of cooling in the market um, now, and people are looking further afield. So I think that that discussion was being had by the market, but I don't think that by the media. But I don't think that the media made anyone, you know, sudden. I don't think the media um, made buyers en masse flee Sydney. Yeah. Um, and I think that played out in the way that it sort of slowed down over the course of the last couple of years, really. I guess we're not talking about 
great journalism here, but the media does seem to want to pick, you know, the boom and the bust sort of thing and, and, and articles about actually everything's just sort of trending along fairly well, don't tend to get published. How, how, do, how do sort of media agencies balance their need to drive eyeballs and create the clickbait and, and get the hits and mm. that sort of thing, but, but also try and get some, some balance? Look, I think um, the journalists that I know um, in the property media, and these are specialist property journalists, you know what? Journalists I know across the board are really great professionals, and they're career professionals, and they don't get paid a lot of money, some of them, um, but they love what they do. And that's what, something I probably learned in my time with the Career Mail. They're a really, really dedicated career professionals. They're doing a job to the best of their ability. Um, so... Um, look, I think that the first and foremost, they want to tell good stories. They want to tell balanced stories um, and they want to stand by their code of conduct. But then probably within the guise of that, they are going to look at a story and say, OK, what's what is going to make people click on this story? I've got to at least get them to my story. If I don't get them here, they won't read it. So I think that what you'll probably find more often than not is that that someone will write a fantastic story and then have to go with the most uh, clickable section of that story to get people onto the page. Yeah. Um, you know, um, uh, so I don't know if I veered off your question here, but but um, but I think that often those headlines that people have a look at and go, oh my God, that's so sensationalist. If they try and venture below the top two lines, um, they might actually find something of substance that's worth saying. And also, look, I, from my years in the magazine, my couple of, my, my few years in the magazine, but the time there, and particularly in the time of editor, you know, there were certain stories that got more attention than others. Uh, naming hotspot um, style um, suburb lists, you know, always gets good attention. Talking about really... Um, big swings in statistical analysis yep. um, gets great attention. And of course, boom and bust cycles get great attention because everyone wants to try and pick the top and the bottom. Um, but I think that the good journalists realise that there's a discussion to be had around that. It's not just simply saying, you know, we are at the bottom of the market by now. It's okay, the market's, I mean, there's some now talking about Perth as a great opportunity. Yep. Well, that's an, interest, that's an interesting discussion to me. I don't think that Many are saying, you know, we've, we've hit the bottom of the Perth market, but I think plenty are saying, you know, a lot of steam's come out here. Maybe now is the time to start looking at it. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of journalism I like anyway. Yeah, and it begs the question, how does property journalism actually work in Australia? Is it a, is it a fee per article? Do you, do you get paid more if people click on it more? Are people mostly freelance? Does Rupert tap you on the shoulder and say, can you say <laughs> Brisbane's booming because I've just, you know, got a development going in up there? <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't you? I think that's the image of it. Sometime I can only I can only speak to my um, experience and my experience, and this is what I've actually um, I wish people understood more about um, journalists. And I, thanks for the opportunity to say something about this here. Working under an editor in News Corp, there was no um, no suggestion at any time that I shouldn't do anything but tell a great story. And a lot of those stories that go up online are self-sourced, um, self-researched. Um, and sure, th they have to go, I mean, an editor has to approve what you're saying. But, uh, you know, if, if you've got facts, if you can back up your facts, you've got reliable sources, and you account for what you say, there's no reason for it not to go up online. And whether it's a positive or a negative story, you know, it would get a run. Now, 
that isn't to say that the sensational stories don't get more attention, but certainly I was able to get stories published that on the face of them might seem quite boring. You know, five affordable high-yield suburbs in Brisbane that are worth further research yeah, right. is probably, it's probably not scandalous. the headline. Yeah, you know, and then of course, you know, if you put a if you put a picture of Kim Kardashian up next to it, sure, you get clicks. No, I'm of course, kidding. <laughs> um, you know, if, if that's the story that that I get to tell, and I do get to tell it, I did get to tell it, um, um, and I, uh, that that isn't going to be dictated to me in any way, apart from a, a, an editor having a look and saying, you know, have you got good sources? Um, can you account for what they said? Is this quote right? So there is a lot of accountability. In, in those organisations. Um, the other source for stories, it will be press releases that come through um, from the top end down. So you will receive a press release that the national real estate editor has received, that she's saw, seen there's a great set of data, let's have a discussion about that. And it'll land on your desk, but finding the people to talk to, um, sourcing the case studies, and the overall conclusion that comes from that story isn't dictated to you. Yep. Um, you just have to be accountable for it. And I want to be accountable as a journalist because um, my name's on the byline. And, you know, there are people out there. I mean, you raised Terry before, but there are people out there who get to turn around and, and, and dissect that work because it's in a public forum. I'm disappointed not to undercover, un, you know, uncover a scandal, to be honest, Kieran. <laughs> um, but, I mean, that, that, is, that is good to know. That's important that we're, that we're getting, you know, balanced stories through. And, and obviously, when you're working in, in some of those positions, you're, you know, a full-time employee. But are, are there a lot of freelancers? And, and how does that typically work when articles are submitted? Yeah, look, there, there is probably a bit more of a push going in towards freelancing than ever before, and that's certainly the field. Um, part of the element of the new business that I'm, I'm doing um, is, is freelancing as well. There is the ability to freelance. You still have to pitch story ideas to um, editors of publications, um, whether online or print, um, and then get approval to proceed with the story to generate for them. The general rule, um, because also as freelancers, part of our business um, is also looking after, um, uh, is also working on PR and communications for, for private industry. Yep. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing that, that people may not realise. If I write a freelance story for one of the newspapers, I am not allowed to use any sources that pay me money right. as a comms person in PR. So it's it's a it's a out and out ban, and the obvious ban is because I have a vested interest in promoting those people yep. in an article. Now I think that's a fantastic rule. I think it's an awesome rule because it stops freelancers from doing the very thing that they shouldn't be doing, which is, hey, I've got a really great story about um, the growth of the western suburbs of Brisbane. Um, I just happen to know a buyer's agent who yeah. has an opinion on that, yeah. you know, and and he's more than happy to, to talk about it and suddenly, you know... Yeah. You, you, Cheers, you, Kieran. Checks in the mail. Yeah, thanks very <laughs> much. That's not the that's not the journalism I want. Yeah. Um, you know, as a reader, it's not the journalism I want to produce as a journalist. So, so um, I think that um, freelancing's got its place as long as it's being um, well monitored uh, to make sure that that you know. And, and it might just be look. It, it might just be the. Um, uh, I've just I've just had a, a, a brain blank on the ABC program Media um, Media, Media Watch. Watch. 
Yep. As long as it passes the media watch test, as long as there's no uh, no suggestion of impropriety in any way, then um, I think it's fair enough that freelancers can write articles. They will be paid per article, but they've got to pitch the story first. It has to be newsworthy, yep. and they have to be given approval to produce it. So tell us about uh, this, this new venture of yours, Bricks and Mortar. So obviously you're working on uh, PR for, for different businesses. You're, you're submitting articles. Um, I read on your website there's even sort of crisis management, so... I don't know, B- yeah. BP oil spills or something like that. What, what are we talking? <laughs> we'll take on everything. Now, look, it's, 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 it was one of those things where Nicola, you would have seen on the website, Nicola McDougall um, was the ex, uh, was the past API Australian Property Investor Magazine editor, and she was before me. Yep. Um, and she went out to do some freelance work herself. And then about six months ago, she sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, there's a lot of work out here for smart property journalism and i'd like to work with you and i sort of you know took that as the compliment it was intended and said i'll think about it um and then ended up leaving you know my very secure job at at the courier mail and saying yes and what what we've found um is that bricks and mortar media has been created to cater specifically as a boutique agency for real estate and um finance um and it is to we we do all sorts of things we we do do pr and communications for people we help them with things like blog writing and and putting out press releases and filtering stories we even do a little bit of freelance around the place as i as i mentioned um so we've got a range of services i like to sort of think of it more as it's a it's a company that helps uh that, that goes back to my core value it helps smart people communicate um it's it's got to help smart people in our industry communicate uh to to the general population to media um their ideas their thoughts and their positions it's got to be a a way for them to concentrate on doing what they do best and letting us help them uh get their ideas out there um and you know part of that job for us is sometimes filtering um uh, what they say we can be given a set of stats by a client and they'll say it makes a great press release nicola and i draw on about between us it's almost sad to say about 50 years of experience between journalism she's got a she's got a monster history as a journalist and she was the reiq comms person for 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 you know i think most part of a decade um so between the two of us, we've got a bit of skills that if someone produces a set of stats and says, I make this, this will make a great press release, we should be able to sit there and say, you know what, this, this part makes a great press release, this bit isn't, yep. and, and this is why, and this is what the journalist is going to ask you about that particular element, and you need to be able to answer that question and tell us why you think what you think there. And so I think that, that this is a relationship that's coming along really nicely for us. And I've got to say, you know... Um, Thanks to Nicola's. I sound like I can talk, don't I, Mike? I, ta- I talk. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I've got nothing on Nicola because when we get into a room and, and chat with a with a client, um, her ability to um, to communicate and cover a whole lot of aspects of what they need to do to be able to um, talk to the media and talk to the public is is second to none. Um, so um, I find the two of us teaming up uh, are kicking some really good goals. And hopefully it's of benefit not only to the clients we're using, but also to the media we're dealing with, because we want them to have quality stories to yeah. be able to write about. It sounds like you'd, you could sell tickets to that meeting, actually. I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall. <laughs> if we can, well, s- take us, Mike, take us on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk off air, Kieran. Um, 
Heading back to your career as a as a valuer, I mean, you, you've got over two decades there. What, what did that teach you about property and investing? What sort of insights did you get from, from that side of things? I probably, you know, those really fundamental rules that, that property investors understand um, were hammered home to me on a daily basis. And, you know, the, the two biggest regrets that investors have is that I didn't buy soon enough and I sold too early. Um, I think that I used to see that almost on a daily basis um, out there yep. doing valuation. And that really brought it home to me that, that the smart um, way to invest in property, if you feel like there is no other strategy uh, that suits you, the very least you can do is buy good quality property with good upside potential and hold on to it for dear life for as long as you possibly can. Yeah. I've yet I've yet to meet anyone who took that approach and then got to the end of two market cycles and, and thought that it was a bad idea. The, um, the second thing about investment that it, it really taught me was um, the idea of over um, overextending and being careful with your finances. A lot of the work we do in, as valuers is around mortgage security work. It's been real bread and butter stuff. Yep. Now, in 2000, and if I can pick a year, I'd say in 2003 in particular, I was doing the northern suburbs of Brisbane. So that was Strathpine, Bray Park, Launton, that sort of gimpy road area of Brisbane. It's it's sort of a blue collar, inner blue collar area. So there, a lot of people were probably doing it reasonably tough you know they're, they're working their nine to five and they're and they're they're making um the best wage they can as a family yeah. they were buying their houses probably not too far previous to that in the low 100 so 120,000 for a house and then suddenly in 2003 the house was worth 220,000 i can't tell you the number of times I would walk into a house on a Thursday to do evaluation and the homeowner would be saying to me, hey, um, can you get this back to the bank tomorrow? Because I want to pick up the new SS Commodore on Saturday. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> and, you know, and we're planning the ski trip and we're consolidating our credit card debt into this as a smart financial move. Um, you know, mm. that, I, that <laughs> idea of, of, of suddenly rebuying the house off the bank uh, so that you can tip the equity into depreciating assets or, or a high interest credit card debt um, without any thought as to the future of your budget um, was scary to me. And so I guess that made me want to be better about looking after our finances. And, and once again, I put it down to, to, to marrying well, but, but you know, we, we sit down, my wife and I sit down every Monday night and we, we, can, we, we go through the credit cards and we talk about where our portfolio sits and what our plans are. Um, um, you know, um, what's the future look like? And I think that that's a very important element of being an investor. Um, a great comment I got from a buyer's uh, agent who I'm working with recently was don't be, uh, property is not set and forget, it is not a passive investment. Um, um, you know, even if you're buying property for the long term, you've got to stay on top of it. Yep. And I thought, that, I thought that was a great piece of advice. Yeah, look, there's some some really sort of solid fundamentals there. N nothing too too fancy, and nothing sensational from a from a journalist, that's for sure. But <laughs> but, but all very important things, and and obviously, you know, holding on to property long term is 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 really the there's the main plan to to create that equity. But I think on average, people are selling their property after about seven years. And you talk about two mm. cycles. You, you're not going to get those in the seven years, are you? No, absolutely not. And the new and you know the new cycle now is not the seven to 10 years, it's the 10 to 14 year. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're talking about a 6% compounding growth rate, 
um, you're, you're waiting, I think it's it's somewhere between 12 and 14 years to see the property double. So yeah, if you're selling after seven years, you're probably cutting yourself short on the potential of your property. And, and there's, you know, there's, it's, there's even a time period in Sydney where you could have owned for seven and got next to no growth. I mean, Sydney, yeah. Sydney was flat and we were, everyone's talking about this booming market, but it, it sat still for a long time. And I think people forget that as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, there was um, there was some uh, work um, that we did with Pippa, the Property Investment Professionals in Australia, recently, yeah. um, where they did some some stuff uh, looking at fifteen years, the growth rate over fifteen years, and Sydney actually came out, you know, well behind most of the capitals um, for for capital growth rates over the fifteen year period, mm. and that's because it did flounder for so long. Um, if you'd owned property in Brisbane, even Perth, I think. Uh, came out ahead um, in that time. You're actually better off. Can you imagine? Yeah, exactly. And and yeah. it's 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 funny. Uh, a friend of mine works uh, in WA in the mining sector, and I think he was there for for the beginning of the downturn and downturn. And he was he was riding along with with one of the other guys he was working with, and you know the there were some headwinds on the horizon. And he said, you know, give it three weeks. This road will be lined with jet skis and SS Commodore, and and, <laughs> and fair mm. enough. It was as far as the eye could see. So if you're looking <laughs> if you're looking to pick up an SS Commodore, just wait till the end of, <laughs> of a mining downturn. But it, but it, it does speak to a problem with the financial literacy of, of people in general. Um, mm. And and I think that you know some people are kind of born into a, a natural education just by watching what their parents are doing. But you're talking some of those blue collar suburbs. It it is a bit of an issue when they're getting this equity and pulling it straight out for the toys. Yeah, I agree. And look, financial education is something that should be, you know, a number one priority around the place. And I agree with a number of commentators out there that it's actually an element that we should be addressing at school level, um, talking about the idea of running a budget and even some of the practicalities of, you know, how to buy and sell a house, how to understand shares. Those sorts of things are important. And certainly as our population you know, we're moving into that world where we're su- we're, we're flipping out of um, the pension and into superannuations on mass. Yeah. Um, it's going to be important to fund your retirement, and having financial literacy is important. It's it is scary in some of those blue collar um, areas. I think also sometimes consumers operate with a, a little bit of skepticism um, because you don't know who to trust out there w- when you're seeking a bit of advice. So there's exactly. a lot of advice and, and and it can be a little bit tough to know whose advice is real and, and who's just trying to get their hands in your pocket. Um, so that can take a little bit of research as well. And, and that's a bit of a battle, really. Yeah, well, I mean, that's in, in part what your career has, has been about in the, in the media, isn't it? It's trying to find out who are the commentators are worth listening to? How do I sift through the vested interests, uh, the vested interests and the, and the, mm. I guess the, the publicity um, press releases and, and find what, you know, who, who I should be reporting on? Do you have some advice on, on how to actually spot uh, a media commentator with a minimum amount of research and, and be able to trust that, that they're onto something? <laughs> Look, I, I, I think that um, the best, probably the best approaches we've had so far has been affiliations with um, with professional bodies that are going to hold their members to codes of conduct. Now, as I mentioned, I have done some work with Pippa before, yep. but I, I think the idea that they have come along and said to... Um, 
the property investment professionals uh, of Australia has come along and said, now, if you want to be a member of our group, here are some rules. You've got to stand by them or you're no longer a member of our group. I think that's a, a decent um, filter. It's a good start. Uh, it is a good start. There's the ability to sort of now on the net probably track back in history and see um, what people are saying about various commentators. Although you've, you've got to take that almost like a, a trip advisor review, you know, make sure the competition isn't getting on there yeah. and bad mouthing. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to be cautious about that. But certainly there will be a, a weight of trend of opinion um, that comes out where someone may be seen as a bit dodgy or someone might be seen as reasonably trustworthy. Um, you know, if the vast majority of those reviews um, are reasonable and um uh, you, you like what, what's being said about someone as opposed to the counter, um, then probably um, that's worth taking on board. I wouldn't trust it outright. Um, I think um, drawing on your own um, trusted group of friends, advisors and mentors is, is a good idea. Um, so also using advisors that, you know, someone someone you know who's probably done well in, in, in property um, has sort of said, you know, I've, I've read this, I've read this book, I've, I've followed this person um, and I, they seem to be saying the right sorts of things to me. I think that bodes well uh, if you're trying to research someone. And look, I would say maybe the number one touchstone, and I'm going to bore the pants off you here, Mike, the number one touchstone for me is, is to be is to be boring with your fundamentals about how you invest in property. Um, if you are in any way uncertain, you know, the fundamentals of buying for long-term, I said it before, of buying for long-term, buying good fundamental property with with all the right ingredients for, for long-term gains um, is going to keep you out of a lot of trouble. Now, if you're listening to an advisor who is telling you about the quick dollar, um, who is talking about high risk, for the high return, or worst still, and this is the one that the valuers hate, the advisor who doesn't even let you see the property you're buying. Right. You know, uh, it's up in Queensland. It's, you know, we're going to negative gear the buggery out of this and you're going to be incredibly rich because it's going to go up 10% per year. You know, these are the these are the advisors that you've got to take with a grain of salt and back away quickly from in most instances. Do you think we're sort of addicted to these get rich schemes, these hot spots? You know, do, I'm wondering, do we get the media we deserve? I mean, I, I sort of say to sometimes people in the office here, if we're running a marketing ca campaign, we might have two versions, and I'll say we don't get to decide, you know, which is going to work. People will tell us which works. You know what I mean? It, 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 is is there an aspect to that? Are, are, are we sort of looking? for these shortcuts and these hotspots rather than, you know, the, the fundamentals because they are a little too boring? Yeah, look, I think people enjoy the entertainment of the hotspot. Um, so we like bubbling and having the discussion about that. And often if you um, put up a suburb list on widespread um social media if you if you published a, a story that had a suburb list a lot of people want to get on there and see if they're suburbs yeah, yeah, part yeah. Of that list you yeah. know <laughs> and so look don't 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 put don't put past that the weight of traffic is going to be people who've already bought there <laughs> and are keen to see how see if they've got some validation or for their decision. australia's top 50 crime hotspots so that'll get people <laughs> tearing through the magazine yeah exactly so you know that's there is an entertainment value to that i think that that um, looking for those growth uh, suburbs, you know, those top growth suburb stories are always interesting. 
Always good, but as I said to you before, I've never met anyone who's just bought straight off the back of reading that an article. And if you know you could convey anything to a reader, it's take what we're saying here. Um, here is the weight of evidence to su support that. Go and do some of your own research as well. Yeah. Um, there's the ability to do that. Don't just rely on what these two or three people are saying. Go and make your own decisions and make them informed. And that's, I mean, that's in every disclaimer you'll see on on television about financial financial advice. Um, so I think, yeah, to get back to your question, hotspotting lists, they're interesting, they're good. There's different reasons why people like them. I like to think that most uh, Australian uh, media consumers are smart enough to take that as a first step to looking even deeper into their potential investments, though. Yeah. Now, is there some piece of advice that you've come across as a, as a journalist you could sort of point out that has, has helped you in your investing career? And, and where are you up to with, with your investments uh, today, Kieran? Yeah. Oh, look, um, I, 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 Mike, I will apologize. I won't give you the great details because while I married, I married smart. Um, um, we're very, we, my, my wife flinches whenever I talk about our investment portfolio. So. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> so look, um, we're, we're going very well with our investments in that we've probably reached a stage now where um, we're looking towards, I've got two young kids mm -hmm. and um, we kind of reached those years where we're going to be in the teenage years with our children and we're picking our forever house. And so we've bought a, a property, an investment property in our favourite street in Brisbane yep. and uh, we're going to uh, look to build a beautiful home there and, and enjoy our family life up there. So, so property's been very good to us we've managed to accumulate enough of a portfolio that's going to make it possible for us to do that um, which is a bit of a thrill I think if there was any advice um, you know a, a, I loved there's a really interesting piece of advice I loved um, once that was follow the hippies which uh, <laughs> follow the hippies which was which was this advice I read once on a website and I thought that's hilarious but it probably has played out pretty well not the hipsters the hippies well, I think the hipsters are the hippies of of of, of the new millennium. Uh -huh. um, um, you know, uh, I did read the advice some some decades back, but that idea that you look at the the areas where the great where, where sort of the artists um, are, are building fantastic communities, um, uh, where you know that that's the sort of environment that that is attracting um, interesting people doing interesting and groundbreaking things. That usually is a great place to be a long term in, investor, and and I think that the hipster movement actually has grown very much out of that. Um, that idea that they'll move into what seems to be an industrial wasteland and set up the best cafe yep. uh, in the suburb and suddenly the world grows around them. Um, I always think that it's interesting to watch those sorts of areas. Um, so, you know, follow the hippies is, was a good piece of advice. And, you know, um, the other one was that, that, that the property investing isn't tough. It isn't, um, it isn't difficult if you... If you stick to the fundamentals yeah. um and and i'm flogging i don't flogging the dead horse for you on on this particular podcast but i am a true dinky die believer in that buying the fundamentals will will keep you safe and particularly in those markets um like brisbane like melbourne just about like any capital city i think buying the fundamentals uh, if you're a long-term investor is is going to ensure that you know come come time to exit your portfolio and start enjoying life you'll you'll be pretty happy that you made the decision you did we've been spending so much time talking about sensationalism in the media and you repeatedly keep saying things like buy for the long term and do your research <laughs> and sensible things like that it's infuriating 
I've ruined it for you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just I'm just scratching on my piece of paper going, oh, well, I can't ask that just, now. Why did I ask? Why did I ask? <laughs> Kieran, if people want to get in touch with you, what, what's the best way for them to do that? Look, head over to head over to the website. So it's bricksandmortarmedia.com.au um, or you can email me directly, kieran at bricksandmortarmedia.com.au. I'm also on, on Twitter at Kieran Clare um, and LinkedIn, etc. You'll find me everywhere around the place. You know what? Please do. I'm really, really pleased to hear from people. Um, I, I mean, you know, I think that our industry, um, our, our society of real estate and finance only benefits from great discussion. And so I would encourage everyone to get out there and talk about um, the things that interest them and scare them and, and you know, delight them about property because it, it is a spectacular sector to be involved in. Um, terribly interesting, can be terribly profitable and um, brings together a great sense of community. So, so please do, please write me a note. That's awesome and it's great to see you're so passionate after you know, being involved in property for so long and, and journalism for quite a long as well. It's, uh, it's been great chatting to you and, uh, and thanks, for, thanks for coming on the show, Kieran. Thanks, Mike, I appreciate the opportunity. It'd be great chatting with you too. Cheers, all the best. Cheers, mate.